top of the world, Laguna Beach, California, one of my favorite places on this planet. And back in 2013, I had one of the most profound moments of my life right over at that bench. If you had asked me in 2013 to describe how I was feeling in one word, my word would have been stuck. I had been following Jesus for about five years at the time. For those first five years, it's like I always knew my next step interning at a college ministry, leading trips in, in Costa Rica for the summertime. And then two weeks after I graduated, Doug and E and I hop on this flight and we travel the world for all of 2012 and have all these amazing experiences all around the world. It was like five years of mountaintop experiences. And then comes 2013. I get to 2013 and I just, I have this sense that the missions and the traveling is coming to an end, but I have no idea what the next step is. And so I'm just right in the middle of those two seasons and I just feel stuck. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way before, but it can be a really scary experience. And so I moved here and uh, my, one of my best friends is a youth pastor here and I was sleeping on his couch, paying him $100 a, a month and helping him with his youth ministry, working at a fitness center, surfing every day. And so let's just get this out of the way. It's a pretty good place to be stuck, but I was still stuck. Like, like I was having a good time, but underneath all of that was like this, this low grade anxiety. God, I don't know what my next step should be. I was talking to a mentor of mine and he asked me a question. He said, Ryan, where do you think God is in all of this? And I said, well, man, I I wish I knew, like I wish I knew what God was teaching me. And he said, one of the things I've learned over my life is when you don't know how to move forward, one of the best things you can do is look backward and remember where God has taken you. That seemed like a good idea for me to me. And so what I did is I went out and I bought this journal Now at the time I didn't know that all the spiritual Christians bought like the leather bound journals with like salt from the Dead Sea and poured it in. And so I I just bought this one for 25 cents. And I came up here to top of the world every morning for seven days. And I sat at this bench right here. And all I knew how to do, all I knew to do was to write down every experience I could think of from the last year of all these crazy adventures I'd had with God. And so I'd come up here and I'd write and I'd write and I'd write like every meal, every conversation, every flight, every long bus ride, everything I could think of until my hand was tired. And then I'd go home. The first two times I I did it, I felt like a little silly doing it. But on the seventh day, I'm writing uh, about this experience that Doug and Ian and I had in this red light district in India. And I realized something. I realized that God had been with us every step of the way. Now we know that, I knew that intellectually, I'd preached about that, but it's something different when it like sinks into your heart. And and I realized that God was there in that moment. And then I'm, I'm flipping through my journal and I'm realizing that every meal, every bus ride, every conversation, every amazing moment, every difficult moment, God was right there the whole time. And you guys, I lost it. I started crying. I wept for like 20 minutes straight. And I don't do that. Like, especially back in 2013, uh, the intellectual side of things has always come more naturally to me than the emotional side of things. So especially back then, me crying for 20 minutes was a big deal and I bawled like a baby. There was like people walking by, like, do we need to check on this guy? Is he okay? Because I'm realizing for the first time in my life that God truly went with me every step of the way. 
And it was wild, man. It was like as soon as I had that experience, I closed this journal. I got back in my car and all of a sudden, I don't mean for this to sound too formulaic because God's an infinite God and so we can't put him into a box. But within the next few weeks, I had my first job as a pastor and I knew what the next season of my life was going to be. And it was like that moment got me unstuck. And so what I've realized is when you don't know how to go forward, one of the best things you can do is look back at how God has been faithful because my circumstances are going to change, but God's faithfulness never does. And so up here at top of the world, God taught me how to get unstuck, which is why this is my vantage point. to be in church today. This is week two of Vantage Point where we are taking you to some of the places uh, geographically where God has spoken to us. And when we first came up with this idea, I just knew immediately that I needed to, to go to top of the world in Laguna because, um, man, it's a moment that was just so real for me. And being stuck is something that is just so real. Like, what do you do when you don't know what to do is such a common human experience. And I just had this sense that I needed to go there because there would be people in this room this morning who felt stuck and who needed the Holy Spirit to give them a, a little push out the door. And so my prayer for today is that today would just be a simple little push out the door for us. And so I titled this message, Help! Exclamation point. Like, help! I'm stuck. Help, I'm stuck. Give away one high five, and then you can take a seat. I don't know about you. Have you, you ever felt stuck before? Maybe you are in a season of life where you feel stuck right now. Maybe the reason why you are in church right now is because for the last few years, um, you, you've just been feeling like there has to be more to this life than the same old routine, the same old parties with the same old people, and you're asking the bigger questions about the meaning of life because you've just started to feel stuck. And if that's you, uh, we're so glad that you are here. And by the way, you are welcome here exactly as you are, thank you for trusting us enough to hang out with us. And I have good news. Jesus has a lot to say uh, about the feeling that, that you have. So stick around. Or, or maybe it's in your faith. And maybe you've been coming around church for a, a long time now. But if you're honest, you um, kind of just feel like your, your faith has stalled out a, a little bit. Maybe back in the day, it was so easy to connect with God and you were bearing the fruit of the spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, all of those good things. But whatever happened in life happened and now you, you feel like that's just sort of plateaued out or maybe it's on the decline, you feel stuck or maybe it's a relational Thing for you right now. You're stuck in a relationship that you know you shouldn't be in, but it's just more comfortable to stay there. Or a, a job that, that is not giving you life and purpose, but to, to take a step would, would be really difficult. And so you just feel stuck. Whatever it is for you, being stuck is a very common human emotion. I've been stuck in, in multiple times in my life. And so today I want to just open up God's word 
And we're going to look at a story about a guy named Abraham, or Abram, as he is called in the early days. This is like the open mic days for, for Abraham before he was who he was. And uh, I don't know what that means. Uh, and we're going to see uh, a couple principles that, that I've been taking from, from God's word um, that I think are going to help us get unstuck. So the story is found in Genesis 15, but first we're going to read Genesis 12 so that we have a little bit of backstory. And um, I, I want to say this, the, Abraham is stuck at this moment, and the reason is because he doesn't have any kids yet. And um, as the Bible says, he is getting very old, and his wife is well advanced in years, because the Bible is smart. And uh, they don't have any kids yet, and so I wanted just to say that, because I know that's a really sensitive subject for a lot of people in this room, and we always want this to be a a safe space. Um, So that is not at all what the sermon is about, but it is the backstory. Um, And so I tell you what, if you don't um, if, if you feel like you need to, to step out, I'm going to read the story, and then in just a couple minutes, I'll pray. Everybody's heads will be bowed, eyes closed, um, so nobody will notice. Uh, if you need to step out to the lobby or, or watch it later um, online, we love you so much. But I have been praying that today would be a, a day where um, God brings clarity to where there has been confusion. Um, and so let's dive into it. Genesis 12. We will pick it up in verse 1. It starts like this. The Lord had said to Abram, again, Abraham, Abram, same guy, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. We need to pause there for a second. I promise I'll pick up the speed because kickoff is at noon. I get it. I'll preach fast today. Don't worry. Amen and amen. But we got to point this out. Genesis 12.1 is a really important verse because uh, Genesis is the first book in your Bible. And then Genesis 1 through 11 tells really the, the, the overarching story of the entire Bible, of God creating human beings in his own image and then us just messing up over and over and over again. And you get to the end of Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel and it's just like there's this question posed, how is God ever going to be able to fix this mess that we have made? So Genesis 12.1 is the start of a brand new story And the rest of the Bible is the story of God intervening and helping us really get unstuck. And notice it starts with with God giving Abraham an invitation to go. I'm a nerd when it comes to stories. I love studying stories. And what you notice when you study stories is that oftentimes it begins with the hero being called out on a journey. So Frodo has to leave the Shire and head out. On the journey, Luke has to leave Tatooine, his home planet, and head out on a journey. And Ted Lasso has to leave Kansas and head to London. Well, I think that every good story is just a shadow of the story, the story of Scripture. And so I think that it starts here with God going, Abraham, um, you're here right now and you're feeling stuck. I want to give you a call to go. Let's keep reading. Verse two and three says this, I will make you, this is God speaking to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. By the way, did you notice how vague God is? Abraham, go. Okay, where? I'll tell you when you get there. Just get going. 
Some of you who are experiencing that right now just said amen. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse you and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is brilliant storytelling because Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, is where all the humans meet up together and they go, let's build a great city for ourselves and make a great name for ourselves so that everybody will remember us. And it goes terribly. And then in Genesis 12, there's this new invitation. Hey, what if it wasn't all about you? What if it was about God? Well, what if we let God call the shots and build the thing that God wants us to build? And this is on the side. We haven't even got to our three points yet. But can I just say, oftentimes in my life when I feel stuck, it's because I've been trying to build my own kingdom instead of building God's kingdom. So often I have moments where I just go, oh, I'm doing that thing again, aren't I? Yeah, I'm done. Sometimes I'll be preaching and I'll have like a moment where I'm like, oh, I'm doing that thing. Again. God, I'm sorry. Quick, quick, right? And I, I, I get back to it. Okay, let's keep going. Verse four says this. So Abram went as the Lord told him. Abram heads off on his journey, on his adventure. But as you know, um, if you've studied story or just lived life, you head out on the journey and then lots of obstacles come in your way. God had told Abraham, hey, I'm going to um, make from your family line, we're going to have a great nation here. And yet Genesis 15 rolls around and Abraham's like, what are you talking about? We don't even have one kid yet. Let's pick up the story. Genesis 15, 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Verse 2 says this. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me? I remain childless. And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. God responds in verse four. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Air. And then verse 5 says, he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your, your offspring be. And finally, Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. See, three really practical principles in there um, to help us get unstuck. And Doug, they all begin with the letter P, so I promise it will be prophetic. Help! I'm stuck. Father, would you help us as we go back through Genesis 15 and look at these six beautiful verses? Um, would you teach us? Would you lead us? Would you show us? And would you help us get unstuck, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as I've been uh, studying this just over and over for the last uh, couple of weeks, the, the, the first thing that I saw was verse 2 and 3. In verse 2 and 3, I think Abraham does something that's not very popular in church culture today. I think that Abraham faces the pain. Face the pain. Let's read it together. Verse 2. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord. Listen to the, the, the way that he's talking to God. 
What can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is somebody that's not even a part of my family? And Abraham said, and by the way, if, you're, if you write it all, you know, like the only reason you would say, and Abram said again, is if God said something. So I'm speculating here, but it kind of feels like God's about to respond. And then Abraham's like, and another thing, Lord, Abram said, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Now, if you're anything like me, I read Genesis 15, two and three, and I feel a little uneasy. Like, Abraham, you can't talk to God that way. He's the way maker, you know? Like, like don't tell him about the pain that you're feeling. Don't be honest, just, just like raise your hands and worship him, right? But like, this is scripture. And so if you, like me, are feeling that way, could it be that we didn't get that narrative from the Bible, but that we picked it up from baggage along the, the way from imperfect people, right? Like, like, come on, let's be honest. This is church. This is something that we do. It's, it's a weird part of church culture where you could be having the worst week and the biggest fight with your spouse and your kids are driving you nuts and you're so tired of your job and then you walk into church and you're like, what's up guys, amen, brother? Too blessed to be stressed. If I was feeling any better, I'd need a twin. You know, uh, what does that one mean? I <laughs> just popped into my head. No, okay. I was, years ago, dad and I went to church and an usher, said, a greeter said that to us as we were walking in. And I go, dad, what, is, what does that mean? And he's like, I don't know, son, let's, let's, let's go inside. You know, like we started saying all these things, we don't even know what they mean anymore. And it's almost like there's this subculture that says, don't face the pain, just paint a smile on your face. And if the pain starts coming up, just sing a little louder. And let's be fair, some of this, a lot of this is, is my fault. It's our fault as, as we preach, like so often, the, the, the sermon is, hey, there's pain, but, but you, you might be feeling some pain, but there's purpose in that pain, right? There's a promise in that pain. There's a platform in that, in that pain. So just keep praising God right through that pain, right? Hey, you might be in a valley, but it's time to get some vision in that valley. God's got something greater for you. He's ready to trade your hope and your hopelessness in for hope. And that trial that you're experiencing is temporary, and that test is a future testimony. So just keep praising God, right? Meanwhile, like, there's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. You know? And... and Mature conversation, what I'm not saying is we have to stop preaching that way. We'll, we'll never stop preaching that way as long as we have breath in our lungs because we know the end of the story. We'll never stop trying to infuse you with hope and speaking life into your lives. I'm just saying I think there also has to be some space to feel the pain. Any serious student of scripture would tell you that especially in the Psalms, there are far more how long, O Lords, and where are you in this, God's? than there are, bless your names, right? Creating space to feel the pain, I feel, is a bit of a lost art. And as a pastor, I just feel like we need uh, to talk about this and we need to reclaim this lost art of feeling the, the emotions that we're feeling and allowing God to go to those deep, dark places with us because I just believe there's so much freedom on the other side. Years ago, 
Doug and Ethan and I got to, um, were asked to sing a song at a funeral in Fiji, which is the strangest sentence of my talk. If you're like, I didn't know those guys were good at singing. Oh, we're not. We were like, we could, we're happy to say a few words if you want. I just feel like it's not really our gifting. And they're like, no, we want you to sing. Okay. So we show up and we walk into this, this funeral and we see something that we've never seen before. Um, they are mourning at this casket. And um, like they weren't just crying, they were weeping. Like they, they were shouting and they were crying and they were shaking and they were so distraught as they felt all this pain from their friend passing. And one of the cool things that happens when you travel is you, you get to a point where you realize just because something's different than what you're used to doesn't mean it's wrong. And so although it felt a, a bit strange for us at first, maybe a, a little forced at, at first, what, what we came to realize is, hey, say what you will about what they're doing. At least they're not running away from their pain. They're running straight through it. You know, what's crazy is there was a, a ceremony or a reception after the ceremony. I remember walking up to a guy, like my pastoral hat came on because I saw them and the, the pain that they were experiencing. I just wanted to like give him a hug and check in on him and see how he was doing. And he turns around and he, he hands me a, a bottle of water and he says hello and he asks how I'm doing and he looks like 10 pounds lighter. I'm like, what? that's not what I was expecting. I thought this guy was like going through the worst day of his life and I looked at him just like, Man, when I go through grief, I just spend like 10 years slowly mourning it and letting it out, right? <laughs> While I pretend like everything's fine. Meanwhile, it just paralyzes me the whole time, you know? Like, I think there's something to this lost art for us of actually coming face to face with the pain, allowing ourselves to feel the pain. And if you feel stuck in this room today, could it be that God is giving you a divine invitation to face your pain and feel your pain with him as he gets ready to, to bring healing and freedom right on the other side of that pain. The model of Jesus is to go to the funeral and to sit down and weep and cry and mourn and feel it deeply and then get up and start calling dead things back to life. Face the pain. Let's keep going. Verse five. This will be our, our second thing God says this, or the Bible says this. He took him outside and said, look up, at, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. I love this one. For some of us, we have a pain problem. Others of us have a perspective problem. God looks down on Abraham and goes, oh, this guy's been in his tent for too long. And hey, we know this feeling, don't we? Because we all went through a pandemic together. Something happens when you, when you get stuck in the same place and you spend too much time, even just really practically speaking, inside. God's like, hey, we need to get you out of your tent. We need to help you look up into the night sky. We need to get you some perspective. Now, verse five is a little strange for us in 2021 because we, we read it and we're like, count the stars if you are able. Like, let's see, one, two, there's six, you know? Like, oh, no, there's seven, seven stars, God, I was able. Remember, this is 4,000 years ago. 
This is before all the light pollution. This is if you've ever been camping, especially somewhere really remote, right, without all, all, all the lights. Remember that spot and that secret camping spot we had by, like, Winter Park that we used to go to all the time? Probably illegal. I don't know. Maybe trespassing. But when you looked up in the night sky, it looked a lot more like this. And if you've seen a, a moment like that, you know, a picture can never do it justice. But this is the, more like the night sky that Abraham would have seen, where you, can, you can't stay awake all night trying to count the stars. You'll never be able to. In fact, our Milky Way galaxy has 100, we think, about 100 billion stars in it. Our sun is just one of those stars. Not even the biggest or baddest of the stars, just one of the stars. And right now as we sit in this room, we are hurling through space at 67,000 miles per hour around that sun. So if you feel stuck, just remind yourself you're moving faster than you think. <laughs> Milky Way galaxy is 100,000 light years from end to end. Ryan, what do you mean 100,000 light years? I mean traveling the speed of light but not for like 10 seconds like they do in Star Wars, but for 100,000 years. And our Milky Way galaxy is one of, we think, 200 billion galaxies in our universe. When God exhales, galaxies come from his mouth. He is a star breather who hangs stars like constellations in the night sky like we hang ornaments on Christmas trees. And yet that same God looks at you and says, my son, my daughter, fearfully, wonderfully made, knit together in your mother's womb, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. You feel that? You feel that shift that happens when we get some perspective? When we look up when we get out of our tent and look up and get some perspective and realize, oh my goodness, God is way bigger than I thought he was, and at the same time, he loves me way more than I ever thought possible, then our little mountain that's standing in our way just doesn't look that scary anymore. And that's not to belittle the mountain standing in your way, it's to make much of the God who, who knows you, who has a plan and a purpose for your life and who is using the pain that you currently find yourself in. Church, we need to get some perspective. Here's one practical way. I, I talked about this a little bit in, in the video. Um, I like to write. I'm an internal processor. If you want to do this through talking to somebody, great. Go for it. What I do is I call it the two-minute drill. NFL is back. Let's go. Two-minute drill, I have a document on my computer, and anytime I need some perspective, I set a timer, I literally set a timer, open up that document, and I just write all the ways that I can remember that God's been faithful, just for two minutes, two minutes. And anytime I'm starting to feel scared, like, like wherever the time of day is for you or you start to lose your perspective, whether it's when you wake up in the morning or when you get to the office or when you, your kids are jumping all around the place or whatever it is, have a, a space and a place where you can do the two-minute drill and just write down, God, you came through for me there. You came through for me there. You were there there, right? And, and you get to the end of the two minutes, all of a sudden you have a whole brand new perspective on who God is and how much God loves you. Two-minute drill. Face the pain is for some of you. Get some perspective is for others of you. But there's one more. Verse 6 simply says this. 
Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the promise. What was the promise? That if you go, Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. And at some point in time, we just need to get back to the, the, the um, uh, amazing, but very, very simple, but very complex art of remembering the promise that God has made for us. And if you're like, well, yeah, but I, like, I'm not Abraham, right? Like, I don't have that promise. Yeah, but under our new covenant package, here's what happens for us as the church. Jesus, when, when he was about to ascend into heaven, goes, hey, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. This is Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. And then he says, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus doesn't just give us this crazy task and then say, good luck. He goes, I'm walking side by side with you everywhere you go. That's the promise. Man, when we lose sight of that promise, we get stuck. So maybe the best thing that you can do today is to remind your soul over and over and over again what the word of God says, that God is with you every step of the way. Tony Evans says it like this. You are not fighting for victory. You are fighting from victory. This battle has already been won. So good. So good. You're not fighting for victory. You are fighting from victory. This battle has already been won. But what that means, church, is, is that sometimes we have to humble ourselves enough to ask God for help. I learned this lesson personally last week. Um, at the time, the name of my sermon was just, I'm stuck. And I had it, and it was ready to roll, and I was excited about it. But it changed last Sunday to help I'm stuck, and here's why. I was sitting right over there uh, during the service, and Doug was preaching the house down, and it was this, this great day, and worship is happening. But if I'm being honest, I, I was just off. I wasn't feeling it. And if you're like, pastors can't say that, oh, welcome to Red Rocks. Just wasn't there for me. And so what I usually do in those times is I have a checklist in my head. I go, okay, is there something like I need to confess to God? Do I need to, to repent right now? And then I start thinking about Jesus talking to, to Martha. You are anxious and concerned about many things. Am I, am I worried right now? Are there some things that I need to surrender to God? And I'm going through my checklist of all the things I need to do to try to fix this problem. And then it was like God just dropped a, a little memory in my mind of the day before. So this was last Saturday. I went over to Doug and Sam's to, to hang out with Will, with my nephew. And uh, Will just turned three a couple of weeks ago. And so I, I bought him this rocket right here because that's what you do when you're an uncle, right? Just create things that can make more chaos in Doug's house. It's like a joy and an honor of mine, maybe even a calling. So I get over, thanks Doug, I get over and Will runs to the garage, he gets the rocket, he's like, let's go, let's play. 
And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we get it all set up, and he jumps on this thing, and the, the rocket goes like, like there, you know? And then he, he puts it back on, and he jumps on it again, and it goes like right there, right? But because he's three, because he's a boy, he's thinking, how can we make this more dangerous, right? <laughs> like, I don't, like, Will was like, I'm, I'm doing okay, but like, I want to send this thing to the ceiling. I want to break something if possible, right? And I'm like, yeah, this isn't my house. This is great. Let's, let's break stuff. So he looks at me without any struggle at all, and he goes, would you help me? And like, as an uncle, there's like nothing I wouldn't do for this kid always. But having him ask hey, would you help me launch this rocket up? It is like the most amazing thing in the world, right? And hey, listen, I'm an imperfect, weird uncle, right? If I feel that way, when Will asks me for help, imagine how much more our loving, perfect, heavenly father feels when we just go, God, would you just help me right now? And that moment was in my mind as I'm over there worshiping, going, oh, here's what I'm doing right now. I'm going like this, you know? Like I'm trying, to, I'm trying to make this happen on my own strength. What if I was more like Will? In fact, if you're taking notes, write this down. Be more like Will. He's just so quick to go, I need help. I'm not ashamed. I need help. You're better at this than I am. Would you help me? And so I go, yeah, absolutely, let's go, you know? And it's like, that's not hard for me to do. We can send that through the roof, and it's not a problem, right? I wonder how many people are sitting in this room, and you're trying so hard with everything that you have to get unstuck on your own strength, and what you need to hear today is God is ready to step up and help you when you will just humble yourself enough to go, God, I need help. Your loving father loves to hear that from you and is ready to step into whatever situation you have going on and going, all right, you, you were trying for a little bit, that's cool. Now let me, let me do this. You guys, this is the pattern all through scripture. You know what happened because Abraham went and trusted God? Abraham and Sarah had a boy named Isaac. Isaac goes on to marry Rebecca. They go on to have twins, Jacob and Esau. Jacob feels stuck one night, he's wrestling with God. But see, God's plan for his people was never that they would be stuck. And so through that night of wrestling, he gives Jacob a new name, Israel. Israel goes on to have many sons, one of whom is a son named Joseph. Through a long string of events, Joseph ends up in an Egyptian prison, stuck for two years. But see, God's plan for his people was never that his people would stay stuck. And through a series of events, Joseph goes on to be like second in command of all of Egypt and save them from a crazy famine. And then as the story goes, all the Israelites end up uh, as slaves in Egypt. For 400 years, they're stuck in a vicious cycle. But see, God's plan for his people has never been that they would stay stuck, so he raises up this guy named Moses, who, by the way, when he hears about it, is like, you got the wrong guy. If you've ever felt unqualified to step into the ministry God's calling you to, just know you're in good company. 
But see, God's plan for his people has never been that we would stay stuck. So he works through Moses and they move out of slavery and into freedom. And oh, by the way, along the way, they come face to face with this giant Red Sea and they've got an army behind them and they're stuck. God's plan for his people has never been that they stay stuck. So he parts the Red Sea and they walk by on dry ground. Later on, this guy named Joshua takes over when they're a day's journey away from the promised land. And yet they're stuck again. This time it's the Jordan River. God goes, hey, Joshua, I want you to be strong. I want you to be courageous. I'm with you every step of the way. Remember the promise, Joshua. Remember the promise. My plan for my people has never been that you stay stuck. And so the the Jordan parts and they walk through on dry ground. And then all of a sudden they're face to face with, with giant walls of Jericho that they can never get through on their own. They're stuck. God goes, hey, you just remember the promise. Why don't you worry about the worshiping? I'll worry about the walls. They start walking around. They start singing. They start blowing the trumpets and the walls come crumbling down. Then for hundreds of years, men and women keep getting stuck and keep falling short of the glory of God. And so God in his love steps out of heaven and says, hey, it's time it's time for me to do something about this once and for all. And so one fateful night, an angel shows up to a young virgin named Mary and says, hey, it's never been our plan that our people would stay stuck. And so we've got a plan here. We're gonna do something about this. And Jesus lives the sinless life and he teaches other people and all of us how to be human and how to love and how to give grace and how to be a non-anxious presence in a world that just so desperately needs it. And then he lays down his perfect life so that we can go free. Then he had a bunch of disciples, not my words, uneducated, ordinary men. I've always loved. Because they're sitting in an upper room one night after Jesus has ascended and they go, this was a lot easier when Jesus was here. Now we're in charge, we're stuck. If you know the story in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit falls on the place and the room shakes and and the Spirit empowers them to go out boldly, to heal and, and to preach. And that phrase, uneducated, ordinary men, used to be the thing that disqualified them, and now they wear it as a badge of honor. They go, yeah, that's exactly who I am, but look at what God's doing through me. And all of a sudden, God just starts getting all the credit, and the gospel spreads from, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. By the way, one of those ends of the earth is Austin, Texas. And here we are, 2021 singing songs to the same God, reading these same stories, encouraging each other as we go from being stuck to being free. So may I just say that if you feel stuck today, welcome to the tradition. Thousands of years, this has been happening. The road is long, but the company is really good. All along the way, when men and women humble themselves and ask for help, God goes, oh, it's game time. Oh, it's time for me to flex now. It's time for me to work now in a way that that nobody else could get the credit for, even if they tried, because I'm going to do something that's going to blow your mind. 
And so I just have this sense that there are people in this room today that need to hear that, that need to be reminded that, that maybe you need to face the pain, maybe you need to get some perspective, but, but, but more importantly, that you need to remember the promise that God's always with us and that he's always ready for us just to say, help! Change the title of my sermon from I'm stuck to help, I'm stuck. And help is the most important word there. So it's time to ask God for help. Would you guys stand up to your feet with me with every eye closed and, and, and your heads bowed? I just, just wanna create some space as we get ready to, to sing to our God who is the way maker. I just wanna remind you that right now in this season, whatever's going on, God is working in your life even when you can't see it. Hey, especially when you can't see it. So to the one who can't see that right now, Father, I pray that you would show them. To the one who's fallen down a hundred times, I pray that you would encourage and inspire to get up 101. Lord, to the one who feels like the mountain in front of them is so big, they're never going to be able to get around it right now in this moment. Would you remind them how much bigger you are than that mountain? Oh, Lord, would you infuse hope into this place all across this room right now in the name of Jesus? So we get our eyes up on you and we start worrying about the worship. Would you bring the walls down in Jesus' name?